If you love the History Extra podcast and want to help us keep bringing you brilliant episodes, then please share it with a friend or a fellow history fan who you think might enjoy it. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There are two things that are absolutely true. Grandma loves you and she would never say no to McDonald's. So treat yourself to a Grandma McFlurry with your order today. It's what Grandma would want. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. In this ad for the Mobile One brand, I have 30 seconds to remind you about your first time driving. Remember the feeling, the freedom, how the world felt bigger and smaller at the same time. Because you were in the driver's seat. The truth is driving never changed. You did. You got a job, a phone, and then a phone that was also a computer with emails that could find you anywhere. And then you were trapped. But here's the good news. It's never too late to break free. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash radio to learn more. What they did was they looked at the biggest economic challenge of their day, whether it's the Great Depression or the Industrial Revolution, and they examined it, analyzed it, and came up with ways of helping all of us to better understand what was happening. That was Linda Yu discussing some of history's greatest economists. Listening to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine. We're the UK's best selling history magazine, available in print and several digital formats all over the world. Find out more at historyextra.com forward slash subscribe or look out for us in your digital newsstand or app store. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast. I'm Rob Attar, the editor of BBC History Magazine. Today's interview is with Linda Yu an economist based at the University of Oxford. She's the author of a new book entitled The Great Economists, and that was the subject of her conversation with our staff writer, Ellie Cawthorn. So today on the podcast, um, I'll be speaking to Linda Yu, who is the author of The Great Economists. Um, so The Great Economists looks at the lives and theories of 12 really influential economic thinkers who shaped the field from Adam Smith to Karl Marx. So Linda, to start us off, I wonder whether you could give us some tips after researching these 12 remarkable figures. 
What conclusions have you come to about what it takes to become a really great economic thinker? A great deal of hard work. I think (laughs) all of the great economists share that in common. And also uh, an ambition to tackle the biggest economic questions. So all the great economists, and they do disagree with each other, so this is nothing, um, it's not one line of thinking. Um, What they did was they looked at the biggest economic challenge of their day, whether it's the Great Depression or the Industrial Revolution, and they examined it, analyzed it, and came up with ways of helping all of us to better understand what was happening. And then importantly, what can be done about it? So in other words, um, how can you end the Great Depression is something John Maynard Keynes worked on. Um, Adam Smith was very concerned about the impact of the Industrial Revolution on um, people's motivations, their their livelihood. So they all analyzed these problems and then pointed um, ways forward in terms of policymaking. I wonder if you could um, outline some of perhaps the slightly broader intractable issues that economists have grappled with over the last 250 years. Unsurprisingly, a lot of the issues would be quite familiar to many of us because um, economic growth um, has been a topic, is the topic um, that's really the focus of my book. Um, So obviously there's a lot of areas of economics to be concerned about. But in this book, I was very focused on trying to not just explore how you increase economic growth, but also the quality of economic growth so that livelihoods are better for all of us. So to give you a flavor of what the great economists have been thinking about, Joseph Schumpeter, the Austrian economist who created um, an entire field around innovation, entrepreneurs, um, he was very interested in the question of what drives innovation. So to raise our standards of living, uh, we need to have uh, stronger economic growth that's derived from uh, more innovations, inventions that have changed the world. So you can think about electricity, for instance, um, was a big invention that changed the way we lived. So Schumpeter examined how entrepreneurs rise and fall, what ecosystem, it's a term we use now, it's not a term he used then, but he essentially outlined an ecosystem, what was needed to support uh, businesses, especially entrepreneurs and innovators. And that has helped shape our understanding of what drives innovation and then ultimately the well-being um, of a society. And other great economists were very concerned about issues such as inequality. So Alfred Marshall, the Cambridge economist, um, he's the father of what's known as neoclassical economics. So in other words, he was one of the real pioneers of the economic field. And he was very much focused on how you address income inequality whilst encouraging the economy to prosper. Um, And he was writing at the turn of the last century. So this is also a long-standing issue. Uh, We're not just concerned about inequality now. It's been an issue uh, for some time. And finally, another great economist in the book is Douglas North. He was very interested in why is it that 
most countries are not rich. So around 200 countries in the world, only about a quarter are high income. So his research looked at the role of institutions, good government, good governance, rule of law, culture, norms, how people interacted with each other, all of those institutional issues he brought into the analysis to help us understand why some countries are rich, but most are poor, and importantly, the lessons that can be drawn to help those countries that are not rich become more prosperous. I think something that the book is really good at highlighting is that um, these thinkers weren't coming up with their theories in a vacuum. They were all a product of their times. Why do you think uh, that historical context is so important for understanding um, the theories of these great thinkers? Oh, I think the historical context and their lives are very important um, to understanding uh, where the ideas come from. I think ideas are rooted in their times, and that helps me later on in each chapter. So every chapter is around an economic problem, um, and it's focused on the great economists who first came up with the idea that can help us tackle our current challenge. Um, and so therefore, you need to understand where the idea comes from, the times in which it's rooted. So then you can adapt it and trace the arguments and the refinements over the years to um, where this thinking or this concept stands today so that it can be applied to our current um, economic challenges. So in other words, uh, one of the chapters is on why are wages so low? So that's the first ideas around how you think about why wages are so low came about, um, unsurprisingly, in the aftermath of the Great Depression, where unemployment was high, wage growth was very slow. And the Cambridge economist, Joan Robinson, who came up with the model of imperfect competition that helps to explain why labor markets work so imperfectly, once you see that it was rooted in the Great Depression and the Keynesian revolution that was sweeping the profession at the time, you can assess um, where the ideas come from, the thinking comes from, and then the subsequent challenges to that thinking and draw out the robust strands um, that are still pertinent to our problems today. Whose ideas do you find the most inventive, surprising or unexpected considering the time in which the thinker lived? Well, I think all of the, the great economists um, their ideas were seminal. So they were all quite original and um, surprising <laughs> since they forged a new path. Um, but probably I would say the uh, economists that really went against the grain of mainstream economic thought was Friedrich Hayek. So Friedrich Hayek is an Austrian economist who was part of the Austrian School of Economics. And he was diametrically opposed to John Maynard Keynes 
during <laughs> the um, Great Depression, he had a totally different explanation of what caused the Great Depression. And he famously argued with Keynes throughout the 1930s about the appropriate ways to address um, the Great Depression. And remember, at the time, Keynesianism was sweeping the profession where Keynes's ideas around um, using government spending to write the economy, increasing state investment to uh, create jobs. Um, all of that was being challenged by in, um, by Friedrich Hayek, who had moved from um, Austria to the London School of Economics. And he was um, very much focused on free markets and on why it was that government intervention really wouldn't help matters a great deal. And their um, arguments had become so famous, it's actually become the subject of two different YouTube videos, <laughs> um, rap battles where current um, rappers uh, imagine um, what, their, what the arguments between Keynes and Hayek would have consisted of over the Great Depression. Hayek later on became a real inspiration for the Reagan and Thatcher revolutions of the 1980s. And um, he was credited with uh, being the um, source of ideas that associated free markets, economic freedom with liberty. Um, that was one of the ideological drivers for ending the Cold War. So I think um, Hayek has probably had quite a, a fascinating um, life and certainly his ideas, um, I think, have really influenced quite a lot of um, not just economics, but also how history has evolved. The first economist that you discuss in the book is Adam Smith, um, who's often referred to as the father of the field. Um, for people who may not know much about Smith or his uh, foundational texts, perhaps you could um, explain why he was so important to economics. Adam Smith was the first person, really, who and this is again rooted in his time, in the 18th century, he was witnessing the advent of industrial revolution. So up until that point, um, there was no real um, market as, as we would understand it in, in terms of supply and demand, factory output, urbanization. So what he did in The Wealth of Nations, his seminal work, was to create a better understanding of how an, an industrialized economy worked. So the invisible hand, which was his concept, helped to make sense of why it was you didn't need a plan, but individuals uh, could trade, could sell their wares, how the price signal enabled factories to know how much to produce, what uh, to sell it, the price to sell it at. And so this insight um, has underpinned all of economics um, since then. He also wrote about concerns um, over how people working in factories 
um, which are very mechanized. So you do these routine tasks day in and day out, how that could affect their constitution, their health, their motivation. So he was very wide ranging. Um, and um, But obviously, um, extremely um, to this day, um, insightful in terms of um, how he analyzed um, economic issues and how the market worked and the role of the state, all um, insights that we still draw on today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. There are two things that are absolutely true. Grandma loves you, and she would never say no to McDonald's. So treat yourself to a Grandma McFlurry with your order today. It's what Grandma would want. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. In this ad for the Mobile One brand, I have 30 seconds to remind you about your first time driving. Remember the feeling, the freedom, how the world felt bigger and smaller at the same time. Because you were in the driver's seat. The truth is driving never changed. You did. You got a job, a phone, and then a phone that was also a computer with emails that could find you anywhere. And then you were trapped. But here's the good news. It's never too late to break free. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash radio to learn more. Another of the 12 figures that you discuss is Karl Marx, and of course this year is the bicentenary of his birth. Um, What do you think that Karl Marx's legacy is in terms of economics? And also, are there any economies today that Marx would recognise? Probably the only remaining communist country um, organised under central planning, which is under the Marxist approach, is North Korea. But we know so little about North Korea. I'm not sure anyone can say that with great confidence. Um, but of course, the country that's being um, most successful, that's still run by um, communists, is China. And I'm not entirely certain that Marx would recognise um, Chinese the Chinese economy today as um, adhering to his principles. Of course, the Chinese Communist Party um, did follow Marxism for a time before the split um, with the Soviet Union um, in the aftermath of World War II. And China was run as a centrally planned economy following um, some of Marx's principles until market reforms were introduced at the end of 1978. Um, But market-oriented reforms, those that have introduced competition, a degree of privatization, all of those things have are the reasons why China has become the world's second biggest economy. So injecting capitalism into an economy which is uh, communist in its political system, um, I think might have been a curiosity to Marx. Um, I think under his uh, his ideas, his concept, you really couldn't have um, communism and capitalism coexist. But remember, Marx's thinking um, was always that once capitalism takes hold, 
um, because of the exploitative nature of capitalists, um, there would always be scope for a worker rebellion down the line. (laughs) You suggest that in your words there is, quote, a, a chronic dearth of women in economics, but you do have a chapter on Joan Robinson. I guess this is uh, two questions, really. I wonder whether you could just talk a bit about um, the gender balance in economics, but also explain to us why Joan Robinson was so important and so influential. Yeah, um, economics has a relative, um, has had, I should say, um, a relative lack of uh, women for, well, Joan Robinson since... um, Joan Robinson is a very good example of it because she obviously um, wrote um, nearly a century ago. There's a a research-based website called RPEC, which tracks academic economists and researchers. And of the over 50,000 economists in the world, um, less than a fifth are women. And um, this is an improvement on Joan Robinson's time. Um, She was writing in the 1930s. Um, Joan Robinson was the most influential uh, female economist of the 20th century. Um, She is the pioneer of the field of imperfect competition. So um, this sounds pretty obvious to most of us, but markets don't work perfectly. And yet the classical economists um, thought so. They thought that um, the invisible hand would allow supply and demand for a product to set its quantity and its price and people would be paid um, according to what they produced. Um, Joan Robinson was a disciple of John Maynard Keynes and the Keynesian revolution um, began to poke holes at the idea of perfect competition. So Keynes famously said that if you waited for the economy to right itself, um, we'd all be dead. (laughs) And so um, there are a lot of imperfections in how the market works um, in the short or in the medium run, which is the period that actually affects um, us now. So Robinson wrote the first Keynesian textbook. So she... um, really helped establish this field of what happens when markets work imperfectly. And her subsequent focus or the focus of most of her research is on when it works imperfectly in labor markets. So she uh, dubbed, she used the term monopsony, which means that firms exploit workers um, in the labor market. So it's a parallel term to the term monopoly, which is when firms have market power and exploit consumers um, in the product market. So she really examined um, issues that were extremely pertinent um, then and now, which is um, what happens when labor markets don't work perfectly. Well, you get low wages. You also get what she described as hidden or disguised unemployment. So in other words, people are underemployed. They may want a full-time job, but they can only get a part-time job. And importantly, she focused on the remedies of what you do about it. So once you see that imperfect competition is because uh, firms have monopsony power, then you should introduce competition um, to into that labor market so that any firm that exploits a worker will lose that worker um, to another 
firm. And so quite a lot of her ideas are very relevant today. And um, her work um, has certainly um, uh, increased our understanding of labor markets uh, by a great deal. She also had a rather colorful life. So she was uh, married to another Cambridge Don. Um, She had an affair with another Cambridge Don. And in addition to the three of them, there were two others who were in this inner circle um, entrusted by John Maynard Keynes to review his seminal work, um, The General Theory. So Robinson was very much at the heart of Cambridge economics um, at a very, at a time when it was when it was um, very much changing the profession. But then later on, um, she distanced herself from Keynes and decided that um, Keynesianism couldn't help explain what was happening um, in terms of economic growth around the world. And she started to focus more on economic development. And she became um, an admirer of uh, communist regimes, such as in China, in uh, North Korea, and she even wore peasant outfits to deliver her lectures at Cambridge um, later on in her life. Um, So um, another, I think, um, great example of a great economist um, and how their lives and their ideas have evolved, um, but still remain quite relevant to us today. Towards the end of the book, uh, and throughout, you discuss uh, why it's useful and interesting to use these thinkers to think about modern day issues. Perhaps you could just highlight some of those specific issues and how looking back at these figures might help us um, move forward. There's so many issues that uh, their ideas could help us with. So, um well, let's, I, I've talked about a number of them already, which is um, why Joan Robinson's ideas can help us understand um, why wages are so low. Um, David Ricardo, Adam Smith's ideas uh, from the 18th and 19th centuries can help us understand um, when and uh, how, when we should worry, but also how we should think about uh, trade balances. Trade deficits obviously are very much um, uh, being debated still today. Um, but I would say in terms of our, uh, one of our big current economic um, challenges is do we, fl- do we face a slow growth future? And the work of um, Robert Solo Um, who is the um, creator of neoclassical growth models. So um, he would be, I think, um, a economic thinker whose focus on breaking down the components of economic growth helps us to think about how to prevent a slow growth future. So for instance, one of the reasons why um, this is being um, discussed quite a lot, why um, growth has slowed down um, since the 2008 um, banking crash. And um, even before then, there were already signs that economic growth was slowing um, alongside um, productivity growth um, which has been going on, um, as I said, before we had the banking crisis. So, we, I think a lot of people 
in especially advanced economies are wary of turning Japanese. So Japan is a stagnant, uh, rich country, which has never really uh, grown very well since its banking real estate crash in the early 1990s. And understanding the components of what goes into growth models can help us avoid um, the Japan scenario. So Robert Solo focused a great deal on um, not just workers, but also investment, um, the human capital, so the skills and education of workers, um, and of course, the role of technology. But where his thinking is really pertinent today is you cannot raise productivity of workers or enable people to invent if there's not enough investment in the economy. So a worker can't be that productive if they're not given the tools uh, to be productive. And investment is also a key feature in terms of um, infrastructure, not just roads and rail, but also digital infrastructure. And particularly since the banking crash, investment has been cut severely um, in terms of the public sector, but private firms are also not investing. So this this real lack of investment is something that um, Solo's work points to as a real impediment to potential growth. And his model allows us to think about um, factors like this, and then as a result, think about ways to raise investment, which could then help raise productivity, which then can help avoid a slow growth future. I think finally, to uh, to come to a conclusion, what do you want readers to take away from your book? A sense of the um, economic ideas that have transformed the world from the Industrial Revolution through to the golden age of economic growth after World War II to our digital era today. I hope they um, can gain a sense of some of the most transformative and seminal economic ideas uh, of our um, over the past two centuries and how those ideas can help us think about our economic challenges today. And finally, I hope they enjoy, um, I know I certainly have, um, reading the biographies um, of some of the uh, most influential men and women um, in uh, in this field, um, gain a sense of their lives um, and, uh, and their times, the history um, of economic ideas. Um, I think, I hope they can take away a sense of the people behind the ideas. That was Linda Yu. The Great Economists, How Their Ideas Can Help Us Today is out now in the UK, published by Viking. In the US, it's due to come out in June from Picador with the title, What Would the Great Economists Do? And just before we go, I'd like to mention that the May issue of BBC History magazine is now on sale. Inside this month's edition, we have articles on Elizabeth Woodville, Karl Marx, suffragette violence and a spectacular operation from World War II. Look out for it in all good retailers now, plus our many digital formats. Well, that's about all for today, but do listen in on Thursday when Taylor Dowling will reveal 
How Close the World Came to Nuclear War in 1983. Thanks for listening to this History Extra podcast, which was produced by Jack Fletcher. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing podcast at historyextra.com and we might read out your messages in future editions. Alternatively, why not keep in touch via Twitter or Facebook, where you'll find us at History Extra. For more great history content, don't forget to visit our website, historyextra.com, which is full of history articles, quizzes, image galleries and more. Plus, it's where you can download hundreds of previous episodes of this podcast.